Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. If you want to create change in any area of your life, you're in the right place. Together, we'll explore the strategies and tools I've used to lose over 100 pounds, pay off $130,000 in debt, and become a multiple seven-figure business owner. I've supported thousands of women to levels of execution and fulfillment they didn't know were possible. So if you're frustrated, if you're doubting yourself, if you're not enjoying the journey, there's a better way. Together, we'll break through your past patterns, we'll eliminate the appeal of your excuses so you can get consistent, stay consistent, create the results you want, and most importantly, enjoy the journey. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Thanks so much for joining me. I read a very thought-provoking book. Fascinating, honestly. I I wasn't even halfway through when I ordered 20 copies. Literally 20 copies because there are so many people in my life who I want to read this book. My mom, my father-in-law, my husband, my sister, um, my pastor, a bunch of my mom friends, like I couldn't have bought enough copies. It is such an important book, though controversial, right? My sister is a therapist and I reached out to her when I started the book and I said, all right, I've got a book for you. It's really important. And I don't think that you're necessarily going to agree with everything in it, but I do think everybody should read this book, especially No, I was going to say especially if you're a parent, but no, just if you're human, just if you're human. The book is called The Coddling of the American Mind. The Coddling of the American Mind. I'll link it in the show description. But I wanted to talk about a few of the things that really jumped out at me in this book as they relate to our pursuit of better health better finances, increased consistency. Because even though the book is not about health and it's not about consistency, it's about mindset and how we perceive information and other people and other people's opinions, I find that almost everything can apply to absolutely anything. And I find that sort of crossover intellect to be super valuable. So the first thing that really struck me about this book is it references a very famous study known as the LEAP study. You might have heard of it before, especially if you're a parent. Uh, The LEAP study is a study, LEAP stands for learning about peanut or learning early about peanut allergy. So in this study, Half of the participants were told in the first year of life to expose their infants to peanuts very regularly, like three times a week. And obviously not when they're just on breast milk, but like from six months to 12 months in that first year of life, once you get past breast milk or formula, expose them to peanuts, give them peanut containing foods three times a week. In the other group, they said completely avoid peanuts and all peanut products for the first year. And what they found was that allergies to peanuts and peanut products were dramatically higher in the group that avoided peanuts altogether. 
like dramatically, fourfold higher. So in the group that was exposing their children to peanuts regularly in that first year of life, and a, and a lot, right, three times a week I think is a lot, their development over time of a peanut allergy was 3%. In the other group that avoided them completely, the development of peanut allergies was at 12%, four times higher. And what the researchers found, and it, and it ref, is now reflected in recommendations to parents with babies, is that peanut allergies were skyrocketing because of the protections put in place. So things were done in hopes, parents have been told for a long time to not expose your kids to these allergens in the first year of life. And in fact, allergies were skyrocketing because of that advice, because of those protections. And now, if you're a parent, you know that they tell you once you get past that exclusive breast milk or formula phase that you want to expose to not just peanuts, but all of the major allergens and not just once or twice, but very regularly. Obviously, this isn't health advice. Work with your pediatrician. I'm just sharing the information about the study. Why I think this is so relevant to what we do here with health improvements and weight loss and consistency and all these things is this notion of anti-fragility. And there's a book called Anti-Fragile. It's a great book if you haven't read it. But some systems are anti-fragile, which means they need stress in order to develop fully. And the immune system is like that. The immune system is an anti-fragile system. It requires exposure to not only a range of foods, but also a, ra a, a range of pathogens in order for it to develop its strongest protective capacity in order for it to develop the ability to respond to real threats and not respond to not real threats, okay? It is anti-fragile, which means we can't just overprotect it because in overprotecting it, we actually impair it. Humans are also anti-fragile. And a lot of times, when we try to overprotect ourselves or our kids, we actually create problems. We actually impair development and strength and resilient resilience. Humans are anti-fragile. The first example that comes to mind is when people reach out to me, and I get this question pretty regularly, you know, what do you do if you have a spouse or a partner who doesn't eat the way you eat or doesn't share your weight loss goals or isn't supportive? And my answer is always, great, great. You living with somebody who eats differently or who doesn't support your goals, that gives you an opportunity that you need to build a necessary skill, right? We need to feel confident in our abilities to follow through no matter who's doing what around us. So it's an opportunity. And this book suggests that we might be going too far to protect ourselves and other people from perceived harm. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about like getting hit by a car, all right? I'm talking about the protections in place against people's words and opinions or feelings. It gives the example of trigger warnings. Like now if you talk about XYZ on the internet, you know, people will come at you if you didn't start it with TW or trigger warning. And the book suggests that avoiding triggers is a symptom 
of mental disorders, not a cure. Because if we just avoid the trigger, if we avoid the discomfort, if we avoid the challenge, we don't stress the system, right? We don't stress the system in the way that is needed for it to be stronger, for us to have confidence in our ability to overcome. Uh, this book references uh, another book called The Happiness Hypothesis, which is also a great book. We've now talked about three books, Antifragile, The Happiness Hypothesis, and The Coddling of the American Mind. Um, the example that it gives is that wind extinguishes a candle, but it strengthens a fire. And a lot of this in, in the human application comes down to what you believe. Do you believe that if you've had a stressful day, if you're feeling overwhelmed at work, if you're going through a difficult time, that now you are somehow less capable of taking care of your health, you're somehow less capable of following through on your commitments? No, it doesn't have to be that way. It is only that way because you believe it should be that way. But you get to decide to be the fire. When the wind comes, it strengthens you. And I felt this really strongly, really profoundly when my twins were in the NICU. Because they absolutely could have been like, well, this means that I just treat my body like a trash compactor. And this means that there's no time or energy to work out because I'm too stressed. And there's all of these things happening. And they're serious things. They were hard things. And I had a lot that was challenging me and my family and, and our health. But I'm a fire. I'm not a candle. And it's that belief that these things can strengthen my resolve. These things that you might call excuses that I have in the past called excuses. They're reasons. I was on the phone with one of my consistency course clients the other day. And I was saying, hey, you know, she shared with me that one of her most common excuses is that she's too tired. And I'm like, what you are calling an excuse is also a reason. The difference is in your perception. You are perceiving it as the reason you, you, you know, the, the excuse to keep you from working out. It's the excuse that keeps you from cooking a healthy meal for yourself or, or being prepared with what you need to reach your goals this week. It can also be the reason because I am tired. That's all the more reason I need to eat better because that's a part of increasing my energy. That's the reason I need to work out because that's a big part of generating the energy that I need when I'm tired. It's perspective. And I think there's a lot of things going on that, in, that try to convince people they're candles. And when the wind comes, then they feel like they can't handle it. And I'll just say again, I'm not a therapist. This is just me sharing what was written in a book that you may or may not agree with. And this book talks a lot about the impact on um, young people. So kids, teenagers, young adults. And one of the conclusions, there's a ton of data. So this isn't just like somebody's opinion. There's a lot of research that goes into it. They said that students in this generation, the generation of still being in school, are more likely than previous generations to engage in thought patterns that make their problems seem more threatening than previous generations would have perceived the problems. And when it seems more threatening, it's harder to solve. And we're less likely to confront it. And we're certainly less likely to confront it with confidence. But I'll be honest, I see this very thing with 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds. That things that 
are not dangerous, right? You might perceive them as, as harmful or you might feel fearful, but they're not dangerous. You perceive them as very threatening and that makes you less likely to confront them, less likely to engage with them, less confident in your ability to solve them. There's been a lowered bar on what we consider intolerable, right? The cravings are intolerable, so we have to act. We have to give in. We have to eat the thing. The uncomfortable feelings are considered intolerable, so we have to distract ourselves with food or alcohol or spending or social media or any number of things. We react so that we can distract because... We've lowered the bar on what is intolerable. The whole reason that, well, not the whole reason. One of the reasons that years ago I did a seven-day water fast was because I wanted to observe hunger without feeling like it was dangerous or something I needed to react to. Because, and I've talked about this before, growing up, my mom, who's a grazer, she's, you know, very thin, um, but I wouldn't call her like very strong um, or even very fit, but she has always been very, very lean uh, or, or not even lean, I guess isn't the right word, th- thin. Um, when she would get hungry, she would react to it, you know, like right away. She was just a snacker all day long. And for me, what I observed in that was hunger is a problem that needs to be solved. And if she got too hungry, you know, we had to like stop, get a snack. She had to pack something, you know, like it was just this ongoing thing and she wasn't a diabetic or anything like that. So don't be like, well, I do that because of blood sugar. I'm not talking about you. And I developed this unhealthy response to hunger, which a lot of times wasn't even a signal that I needed more food. It was reflective of blood sugar imbalances or stress or habit and pattern And so years ago, I did the seven-day water fast because I wanted to understand that hunger doesn't just like keep growing and keep growing and keep growing and keep growing until you just are dead. You know, you were starving and you starved to death after four hours. No, it it doesn't happen like that. And the great thing that that did for me was it made me significantly less reactive to the sensation of hunger. And it doesn't mean I ignore it. I think it is a valuable signal. But I also know that it doesn't mean like, I need to eat now. You won't hear me saying things like, oh my gosh, I'm starving, I'm ravenous, because that's not real. It's over-dramatized and it makes a problem feel more urgent and more difficult and more threatening. Because my personal opinion is that we have just become a lot more dramatic and a lot less confident in our ability to solve problems. Whether the problem is the clutter in our home or it's our overeating or it's our overspending or any number of things, like there's this general sense that this problem is bigger than I am. And these situations or these objects are more dangerous than they really are. And then that supports your belief that you can't change or that change is super, super hard. You're over-exaggerating the thing while undervaluing yourself and your capability and your capacity. Like the immune system, we are anti-fragile, meaning that doesn't mean we're unbreakable, right? It doesn't mean that. Uh, Certainly doesn't mean that you should, you know, do something to test the fact that, oh, it won't kill me. It'll just make me stronger. No, anti-fragile means that we require stressors and challenges in order to grow to our 
highest potential and our full capacity. The muscular system is an example of that. Spend a month in bed. Don't use your muscles. See what happens. See, I mean, don't. But if, I mean, you can imagine that if you were to just give your muscles a month off, don't move, lay in bed, have everything brought to you for one month, you'd have no strength left. And that's a lot of what's going on when people feel this need to avoid challenges and avoid stressors and avoid difficulty and turn away from obstacles. One of the things that the book talks about uh, is that feelings, a lot, of, a lot of people are just going based on their feelings. Like I feel stressed and so I'm going to then follow this feeling to its unhealthy resolution or I feel overwhelmed or I feel uh, you know, threatened by this thing. Feelings are always compelling, but they're not always reliable. Feelings are always compelling, but they're not always reliable. One of the things I talk about a lot is being more objective and taking away the drama. And I love Cy Wakeman's definition of drama. She says, drama is what you add to the facts. And that is usually your interpretations or how you feel about the facts. It's not bad. It's just drama. And it confounds things and it blurs lines and it leads us down paths that aren't necessarily rational or logical. Your feelings are always compelling, but they're not always reliable. So we have to question them. I think one of the things I do most inside the consistency course is I help people ask better questions so that they're not clouded by their feelings or their past patterns or their interpretations, assumptions, fears. Your feelings are always compelling, but they are not always reliable. You know, I was thinking about like, what do we do with this information? And I think the first step is, I think that it's a book worth reading. Even so many times we don't want to read things if we don't agree with them. And then we get up in arms and think, you know, we dismiss the whole thing because maybe there's a part of it you don't agree with. I actually think it's very important for a mature brain to read material that, that challenges you and explore why you disagree. And, and maybe that can strengthen your own perspective or your own viewpoint. So I think a great start is to read the book Coddling of the American Mind. But I, you know, for me, one of the takeaways was paying more attention to what I label as a problem in my life. I think that we're over dramatic with what we assign as a problem or an issue. Being behind on laundry is not a problem. Having a cluttered kitchen is not a problem. Overeating Easter candy isn't a problem. These are reasonable expected results of choices, right? If I don't do laundry for four or five days, I have a big pile of laundry. These are reasonable expected results of choices. And my practice in reading this, among other things, is going to be to work to be less dramatic, keep things very simple, not just liberally throw out the label of problem. Because the bigger that we see a problem to be, 
especially when it's not that, when, when that's fueled by feeling, when that's fueled by past pattern and not ob- objective information, we're less likely to approach it. We're less likely to approach it with confidence. We're less likely to believe in our ability to solve it. Our feelings are always compelling, but they're not always reliable. And we get to stop convincing ourselves that our problems are bigger than we are or that our problems are bigger than God is or both. So I'm going to link the book in the show description. Full well understanding that there are a lot of people that probably won't agree with a lot of the data, but the data is the data, right? There's not a whole lot of interpretation of the data, in my opinion. It's just presenting the data, like the peanut study. You know, I, I um, have a family member through marriage that just had an extremely tragic and fatal situation around a peanut allergy. So I know that that can be a very sensitive topic because it is in our family, Um but the data is still the data, right? The data is absolutely still the data. And that, that applies to everything here. So it's a lot of uh, food for thought. But at the end of the day, keep in mind that you are anti-fragile. And that does not mean you're unbreakable. It means that challenges and obstacles are not to be avoided because if you avoid them and you get frustrated by them and you think, why is this happening to me? You ignore the truth that is, these things are what is required for you to operate as intended. All right, make it a great day. I'll talk to you soon.